Hello and welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I am the Discipleship Ministry Team Adult Ministries Coordinator uh, with the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the uh, text for February 16th, and that's going to be the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind you about the denominational day of pra- fasting and prayer. It's going to be Ash Wednesday, February 26th. And you can get information on that at uh, cpcmc.org. And if you'll just go to that website, you'll see a big logo that says Pray, Fast, Act. And if you click on that, it leads to a lot of resources that you can use in your church to get people prepared for it. We're truly wanting a work of God. And in Scripture, when God's people get together and they pray and they fast and seek God's face, God does incredible things. So we're looking forward to that. Also, you can get on a Facebook group if you type in... Um, Cumberland Presbyterian uh, Denominational Day of Prayer and Fasting. It'll get you to a uh, group that you can share your experiences or things that you're doing to promote the church or get ideas on how you can promote this event to your church. So go to Facebook and you can type in uh, Denominational Day of Prayer and Fasting, Cumberland Presbyterian or Cumberland Presbyterian Day and Fasting, and you'll get there. Now we're going to turn to the lectionary text for six Sunday after Epiphany. It's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Psalm 119, 1 through 8, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 9, and then Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. The collects for the uh, day is, O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers, and because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. All right, so the general themes that I see for this week is that there are choices that we that we have in this life. Um, Moses puts it into the context of living in the promised land. And so um, the promised land for Christians is the church, right? It's the kingdom of God. And, and in the Old Testament, it was the physical land of Canaan. And so Moses says, there's choices that you can live by that will bring either life or death. It will bring you prosperity, or it will bring you anxiety and adversity. And so all of these texts are presented as contrasting choices. At the Deuteronomy passage, Moses literally begins before I, in saying, I set before you this day life and prosperity, death and adversity. And then the rest of the texts describe a life of those who are living by the Spirit or those who have decided to live by the flesh going down a different path. So the second thing is that God causes growth and righteousness. So in all these texts, we can't cause spiritual growth, but we can, however, put ourselves in a position that God can grow us spiritually. And that's the focus of Lent. It becomes a time of self-reflection to see what is in the way of us offering ourselves fully to God and our neighbors and to our churches in this world. We commit ourselves to God, heart, mind, and soul, and God has has committed God's self to us. So in the Deuteronomy passage, it isn't obedience in and of itself that causes blessing, but it's committing to God, loving God, and God then produces righteousness and blessings which include obedience. Simply put, right devotion leads to right action. Another theme then is blessedness or righteousness or the state of of goodness, if if you will. This is a good time to define what it means to be blessed. The psalm is a good one to use for this purpose. Blessedness is not simple happiness, but it's a right connection with God, which leads to right action, which leads to us becoming fully human human and experiencing uh, life abundant. 
and let's see, that leads us to the individual text. I think the Deuteronomy passage is the foundational text for the week. You can use that in Springboard and use the other text as supporting text uh, if, if you would like. I think this is a good text to begin thinking about Lent in your congregation. Moses starts by simply saying, choose this day. Choose either life and prosperity or death and adversity. This is a real choice in the world today. We live in a time where people are anxiety-ridden that go from fire to fire, simply putting things out, worrying about money, worrying about time, worried about family, worried about absolutely everything. But Moses says there's a different way to live, and you have a choice. Either you're going to live in the peace of God and the fullness of God, or we're going to live by the flesh and try to make everything happen in our own time or by the world's standards or the world's uh, needs and desires. So that's the first thing. We've got a choice to live differently. Second thing that I'm going to do is use this text to explain the choices. In other words, describe what each of these choices look like in the world. So one of the questions I'll ask is, what does a good life look like compared to the anxiety and death, dead man walking type of life? What does a life of faith look like as opposed to a life lived apart from the presence of God? Another question is, what does experience God's blessing look like over a life of cursed anxiety, hurry, divisiveness, and so on? One of the illustrations I can use for this, one of my Bible college professors, Dr. Reese was his name. The man was never in a hurry. How, I never know. How he had time for every student how he had time to do everything that he did. And he was, if you ever said, hey, Doc, how's things going? He'd say, man, things are great. And if I did half of the things that he did, I'd be a worry. When somebody asked me how I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I'm behind. I'm behind on this and that and that. And my life is characterized by hurry. And so I know there's a difference between someone who is living life of prosperity, peace, and abundance, and then somebody who's playing at it, like myself. And then that leads me to the third thing. How do you make the choice to live life, to choose life? How do you make the choice then to, to death and, and adversity and anxiety? It's not something that we wake up and say, Today, Lord, I choose life. So in verse 16, Moses kind of explains what it means to choose life and prosperity. And Moses says, For I command you today to love the Lord your God. That's the first thing. Second is to walk in obedience to God. And the third thing is to keep God's commands, decrees, and laws. And the result, then, is that you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. So, you have to love the Lord, walk in obedience to God, keep God's command, decrees, and laws. And then in verse 17, Moses explains how you choose to live a life of death and adversity. And number one is, you turn your hearts away from God, you're not obedient, and your heart is drawn away, and you bow down to other gods and worship them. So the result in verse 18 is, if you do those three things, I declare to you, Moses says, this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So here's the thing. How this works is, in the Old Testament time, the Hebrews were journeying to a physical promised land in Canaan. Before they reach there, Moses says, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Fast forward a couple thousand years or so, Jesus Christ comes and establishes the kingdom of God. That is our spiritual promised land. 
And as Christians, we run the gamut of those who live a life of blessedness, of life and peace, and we also have those, illustrated in the Corinthians passage, who have chosen adversity and death, and they bring death wherever they go. So as the Hebrews were entering in the physical promised land, we Christians have the choice this day on how we're going to live, what choice are we going to make, what conduct are we going to we going to um, show as we live life in the church. And that leads us to the psalm passage, and I think it's better suited as a supporting text or as a call to worship. But if you're going to preach this, here's what I got for you. In verses 1 and 2, you can see that there is a possibility of blessedness, and there is a certain path to it. So the first thing then I would say is you can be blessed in this world, and there's a certain way to go about being blessed. In verses 1 and 2 said, you walk in the law of the Lord, and two, you seek God with all your heart. And that leads then to the second point, which, which would say that the blessed person, in verses 3 and 4, is characterized by one who does nothing wrong, and that they fully keep the laws of God. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of a tension here. The history of human relationships to God is the interplay between obedience and disobedience. I think every one of us would agree that Jesus Christ is the only one who's been able to keep all the commandments all the time with the right attitude. There's a litany of people in Scripture, however, that have the right attitude, may not always carry it through. David is a good example. He may be uh, at least a contributing author to the psalm that we're reading today. And he demonstrated his entire life a great desire to live for God and glorify God. He also gave us pretty, you know, a, a good, good amount of examples of how he didn't do all those things. Yet his life was characterized as a blessed life and a, and a man after God's own heart. There is something to be said for the intention to follow God's law and to live a life that seeks to glorify God. The motivation is, is the glory of God. You think of Noah, Abraham, Moses. If you look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it's that list of people whose greatest desire was to live for God's glory and honor. And all of these people were commended for their faith, yet every single one of them that we read about were also known to have made some major mistakes throughout their life. Obviously, they didn't keep every command all the time. So what are we to make of this? That the blessed person is the one who never does wrong and fully keeps the commandments of God. And this is where I give thanks for verses uh, 5 through 8, 5 through 7 specifically here. If you read verses 5 through 7, it says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. So there's this thought, at least when I read that, of progression. It's not that we've already achieved all these things. No one has. But as Paul says, the one thing I do is strain toward what is ahead to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. When we submit ourselves to God as a, as a living sacrifice, he continues sanctification in our life. It's where the that great doctrine, Protestant doctrine of, of righteousness by faith, enables us to be both proper worshipers of God while also not perfect yet. And it's by faith we become blessed and become more and more like Jesus Christ in our mind and our heart and our, and our actions. So again, we can't of our own human power or self, will and determination, become righteous in our actions before God. The best we can do is in our heart, mind, and soul, and as best we can our actions is to submit to God. And then the Holy Spirit forms us each and every day into a more blessed way of life when our intention is to completely live for God and love God. 
And that leads us into verse 8. And the fourth point is that we're going to mess up. But by faith, we're kept blessed. And so verse 8 says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake, forsake me. When I read that, I have to read that as a promise and then also a plea. I am going to do this. I'm going to give it my whole heart, dear God. But if I don't, forgive me and don't forsake me. When I mess up, be with me. This psalm is one that takes the understanding of righteousness by faith very serious. The psalmist is completely leaning on God. They may not have yet attained the maturity of, of perfection, by keeping every law and command, but man, it's their intention to do so. And that's where I want to be. And I do believe that's how you live a life of righteousness or a life of blessedness in this world. Next, we turn to the epistle passage for the week. And I think this text can serve as a preparation for your church community to live in Lent, right? So as a church family, I'm going to think about this this passage in the context of Deuteronomy. We have a choice on how to live, even in the church. There are people in the church who are weak and are immature, and unfortunately, one of the big problems is is that it's the weak and immature people who are leaders in the church. They're weak and they're immature, but unfortunately, they have power to frustrate the whole church and to do so, and when they do so, they keep the church from experiencing life and prosperity like we read about in Deuteronomy. So the first thing I would say is that the spiritually weak are fleshly, and and they're in the covenant community. But instead of living by the Spirit, they live by the flesh. That was a horrible way to say that. What I should say is, first, is that uh, in the covenant community, there are many who live or choose life and live by the Spirit or choose death and live by the flesh. That's a lot better way of saying that. And that's important because, again, I've said the church or God's kingdom is our spiritual promised land. And you can live a couple different ways. The church itself the physical church that we all gather. You've been been—you've probably been part of a church when it's hitting on all cylinders and everybody has submitted themselves to God and God becomes the greatest concern. And your church, man, it rocks. People come. Uh, people are growing spiritually. Baptisms are being done. People are joining. Uh, ministries are started. Uh, and then you've probably been part of the church in a season of, of fleshly leadership, maybe is what I'll say, where divisiveness and disunity grows, and people stop joining. Not only do they stop joining, they start running to the Baptist church down the street trying to find something better. So that's the first point, uh, is that we can live in the spiritual promised land choosing life, or we can continue to choose death. So that leads us to the second. The manifestation of those living in the flesh are seen in jealousy, disunity, and acting in accordance with human inclinations. All right, so Paul says, those of you who are immature and weak and living by, by the flesh, it's shown in the jealousy between church members and disunity in the church members and the church acting in accordance with human inclinations. These three things that Paul mentioned are pretty much in line with what Moses lays out in, Deuteron- in the Deuteronomy passage. Remember in verse 17 of Deuteronomy, it says, if you turn your heart away from God, which is what the spiritually weak do in the church, they turn from God and seek human wisdom. And then the second thing Moses said is, if you're not obedient, which of course is what happens in the church, you're not obedient to God. Instead, you're trying to be obedient to human rituals and regulations. And then the third thing Moses says, you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. 
And of course, we don't do that in the Christian church. But in Corinth, at least, they, they were bowing down to sectarianism, to human regulation. So some were saying, I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos. And then Paul says, but wait, no, you belong to God. So instead of being drawn to other gods, the uh, church in Corinth, Corinth was being drawn to humans. This happens in the church, and I'll give you a real quick um, illustration. How often does a church uh, stagnate because they keep thinking about the good old days and old preacher so-and-so and how great they were, and this preacher ain't never like that, and we can never do the things we used to do back then. That's what it means to be drawn away and bow down to other eras of the church, and that would be an idol there, my friends. Uh, and then third, I would point out that the church is the spiritual promised land. So what, the, what Canaan land was to Jewish people physically, the church or the kingdom of God is to Christians spiritually. We can choose to live in, in the kingdom of God by the spirit or by the flesh, just like the Hebrews. But there are consequences, both as individual believers in the church, if we choose death over life. And that brings us to the Matthew passage. Um, again, this is one that can prepare your hearts toward thinking about Lent. So this passage builds off the New Testament text from last week when Jesus says our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. But what does that look like? So Jesus explains what it looks like. And it means less about refraining from certain activities and more like living a life that goes the extra mile. Uh, Eric Metaxas wrote a um, biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he summed up a lot of Bonhoeffer's teachings when he wrote this. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. So if you look at the examples that Christ uh, gives, think about the negative command. So he'll say a formulaic phrase, you have heard it said, thou shalt not. But then Jesus asserts the positive command when he says, but I say to you, do this or do that or do something, right? So instead of saying, thou shalt not, Jesus pretty much says, you shall, uh, so in verse 21, Jesus speaks about murder. He says, you shall not murder, but I say to you that you should basically go and reconcile with everyone and everybody. Instead of simply refraining from murder and anger or breaking a relationship, go and do everything you can to repair and reconcile and to have good relationships because reconciliation gives life, but anger and murder bring death. In verse 27, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. That's living by the flesh. Living by the spirit, however, choosing life, would be to do everything in your power to ensure that you're sexually pure, right? Be proactive. In verse 31, there's talk about divorce, which living by the flesh would make sure divorce is done properly, but living by the Spirit means that you would consider your spouse as if they were the very person of Jesus Christ and you would treat them in such a manner, so much so that divorce is not an option. In verse 33, Jesus says, You have heard it said, You shall not swear falsely. That's what living by the flesh does. You have to prove yourself in a transaction saying, on my mother's grave, my hand on the Bible, you can trust me, these kinds of things. But Jesus says instead, we should live life in such a way that all people know that what we say is what we're going to do, right? There's no disunity in us. There's simplicity. There shouldn't have to be a promise uh, that you have to invoke God's name or something above you because you should simply be the type of person who exudes honor and integrity. All right, so that's what I got for you today. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, turn his face towards you, and give you peace as you preach and teach and disciple this day. Amen.